You're listening to Jet Nation Radio, the official podcast of JetNation.com, the largest independent fan site in the NFL. Be sure to check out our forums and talk all things Jets with thousands of other diehard Jets fans. Now to get you up to date on all the latest Jets news, notes, and quotes, here are your hosts, Glenn Naughton and Alex Barallo. Good evening, Jets fans. I'm Glenn Naughton. This is Jet Nation Radio. Thank you so much for tuning in, as always. I will be flying solo this evening. Alex is a little bit under the weather. Talked to him earlier today. Said he's not feeling so great. So uh, hopefully you're uh, on the mend quickly, Alex, and back with us next week. So just myself tonight. And I had a few topics I wanted to cover. I was working on, um, well, actually, first of all, let's talk about uh, Let's talk about camp. Looks like New Jersey, the state of New Jersey, has authorized sports teams to open up their facilities and start training. So this is obviously a very good sign for training camp, and um, it's uh, it's a shame that the the virtual program just finished up because it would have been nice. I'm sure the coaches and players would have appreciated the opportunity to come into Florham Park and and do some work in person. But it's a step in the right direction. Like I said, we don't uh, you know. We come on here every week and we don't talk a great deal about this, uh, the craziness of the coronavirus, because we get enough of that from other resources throughout the course of our day. And the one good thing, though, is that there are a lot of things trending in the right direction. Part of that being that New York opened up a couple of days later, New Jersey opened up. I saw just a few minutes ago that Texas, the state of Texas, and let's face it, Texas kind of does their own thing. They've they've announced that stadiums can open up uh, to 25% capacity for anyone currently taking part in a in a, in the season. So things trending in the right direction, and we can just keep our fingers crossed that it keeps going that way. Because let's face it, you know we uh, we all want to get back to normal as soon as possible, or whatever the the, the you know the new normal will be. Uh, you know we keep hearing that the new normal, the new normal. We don't know what the hell the new normal is. Um. What we'll know in the coming weeks, months, possibly years. But uh, let's let's talk about the uh, let's let's get the Jamal Adams things out of the way, the Jamal Adams situation out of the way. Uh, a lot of the same, you know. Jamal wants a deal now. The Jets don't want to give a deal now, and you, you kind of understand the Jets' position in that they no what owner right now wants to hand over tens of millions of dollars that they're not already obligated to hand over in the time of such uncertainty. I think that's a big driving force behind this. There were rumors that the Ravens were talking to the Jets about Jamal Adams. There were rumors that the the Cowboys, who were rumored last, you know, that the, the, the deadline last year, as we all know, Ian Rappaport went on NFL Network, said the Dallas rumors were, were complete. Nonsense. And the Baltimore rumors, honestly, I saw them in a couple places, but nowhere reputable enough that I would I would put too much stock in it. Jamal Adams has gone pretty much silent on Twitter, sending out a few tweets, but in it, in it, I don't know if he sees the irony in this. Jamal Adams sent out a tweet saying uh, something about needing to be strong, or uh, what was the word he used? 
I can't remember, secure in yourself or something like that. Um, confident. And he, and he, he, he shut off the replies. So no one could reply to his tweet about the importance of being strong. Um, so I thought that was a little bit weird, a bit ironic. Um, there was a Jamal Adams thing. I, I discussed it on Twitter and on the forums on Jet Nation, which if you are not on there, get on. Log into JetNation.com. Go to the forums, most active Jets message board on the Internet. But Jamal Adams, and, and, and I like to do this sometimes. I like to, I like to just throw questions out there. I have a random thought, and I'll go on Twitter or I'll go on the forums on Jet Nation or sometimes both. And I'll throw out a question, and I don't, I don't right away offer what my position is because I genuinely just want to know what people are thinking. And so I, I, I put a thing out there and said, hey, I just saw this, this, this clip of Jamal Adams talking to a former Ravens player, I forget who it was, um, who's saying to Jamal Adams, like, hey, you'd be a good fit in Baltimore. You know, you should, you should come to Baltimore. And Jamal Adams does the, oh, man, don't say that. Don't get me in trouble. You know, of course, he's under contract with the Jets. He doesn't want to talk about playing for the team. You know, don't put me on the spot. Don't do that. But then he says, you know, Baltimore, you like them a lot. You know, they like their system, focus on defense. And he, he kind of elaborates a little on why he likes Baltimore. In all honesty, not a big deal. It's nothing. I don't, it doesn't bother me. Um, and because just simply mentioning it and asking the question, people are like, what's your problem with so what? Are we having a conversation with a friend? Back off. I get that. And while I don't think the conversation amounts to much, what bothers me is the hypocrisy. Because, you know, it wasn't all that long ago that Jamal Adams you know, uh, shut out his GM and his head coach, wouldn't speak to them because, and you just get tired of saying it almost, not almost, I am tired of saying it, but because the general manager had the audacity to pick up his phone when it rang and the person on the other line mentioned the name Jamal Adams and Joe Douglas didn't slam his phone down smash it up with a sledgehammer, and set it on fire because someone uttered the name Jamal Adams from the other line. Jamal Adams was so hurt and wounded and saddened and betrayed, and how could they, and I don't trust them. And no, Jamal Adams didn't come out and say, I don't trust them. I don't want to put words in his mouth. But as I said before, he did come out several days later, still hadn't spoken to his head coach, still hadn't spoken to his GM, did speak to the owner, and said, what, I don't know, three, four, five, six times in a span of about a minute and a half, he spoke to the owner because he trusted the owner. I can trust him. I trust Christopher Johnson. We have a special relationship. I can trust that guy. And then he got offended when somebody said, why can't you trust the other guys? Oh, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. No, but you, you literally just said you didn't speak to them, but you spoke to Johnson because you trust him. So he wouldn't kind of step up and say what he wanted to say. He kind of implied it. And then when someone picked up on that, he pretended like they were, they were the bad guy. So why is it then okay to, to why, why isn't Jamal Adams obligated to hang up his call? If Joe Douglas is supposed to hang up the phone, the second someone suggests Jamal Adams play somewhere else, 
Why isn't Jamal Adams obligated to hang up the phone when someone says, and I get it, Jamal Adams can't trade himself. I know that. But if it's so offensive and so terrible and so bad that they entertain the phone call, because if you want me here for life, why would you take that call? Well, look, if you want to be a Jet for life, why would you engage in that conversation? Why not just say to the, hey, man, I'm a Jet. I'm not talking about any of that. Let's talk about something else. I'm a New York Jet. And that's it. That's the end of it. So do I think the comments were a big deal? Not at all. But I don't... I. And really, sometimes I like, to, I like to get the hypocrisy out of some of the fans. Um, I like to see the fan reaction because it's, you know, a lot of it was so like, you know, I, I heard so much of like the Jets, you don't shop them, you don't shop them, you don't, you don't shop Jamal. They weren't shopping him, but that doesn't stop people from repeatedly saying they were. And then you throw that out there. I throw that tweet out there and go, hey, why didn't Jamal just hang up the phone the, the same way Joe Douglas should have hung up the phone? Oh, no, that's different. That's different. No, 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 no. You can't. It's not the same thing. Which, to a degree, it's, that's correct. They are not the same thing. One is the general manager and one is a player. But what is the same is that you have somebody claiming they want to be somewhere. Engaging. And, and the other thing is, one is a public conversation for the whole world to watch live streaming. The other one is a private phone call in an office that no one has to know about. If somebody hadn't leaked it. So the comments don't upset me, but I do kind of roll my eyes when I see the hypocrisy. I'm like, oh, okay, so this is how it goes. So this guy is the worst dude in the world. You can't talk to him for a couple weeks or a few days, whatever it was, because he picked up his phone, which, by the way, is his job. Um, but it's fine if you go on and, and talk to one of your buddies about, you know, how much you respect an organization that, that might have some interest in you and you like the way they do business and blah, 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 blah. So the comments, a lot of nothing. The hypocrisy, part funny, part eye roll, whatever you want to call it. But anyway, I, you know, Jamal Adams, I, I've said before, I, I, the Jets need to keep their playmakers. The Jet, and Jamal Adams is a playmaker. The Jets, if you go back, and, and this is the next thing I'm going to talk about, kind of, kind of twofold here. The Jets draft history. Now, it's no secret, okay? We know. We know how bad this team's draft history is. <laughs> or, I guess, or do we really? Because as much as we complain about how bad this team's draft history is, I say it all the time. When you, when you start digging deep and you look back, like I went back the other day. I looked up the drafts. I went back to 1993. Why did I go back to 93? couple reasons. Main reason, that was the year, that's when free agency started. NFL brought in free agency in 93. So that's when it kind of became more important to draft well, because your good players can leave. So you want as many good players as possible. Retain as many as you can. So I went back, and it also covered a time that I, I could remember well enough a lot of these guys. I started watching as a fan when I was 11, 12 years old in 87, 88, somewhere in there. So I, I you know, some of those guys, I remember the names, but when you're that young, you know, you watch the ball. You don't really remember every guy. But I went back to 93. And I'll tell you what. The Jets, it seems over the years, they have this history. And it's been mentioned, but not quite this in-depth. I've heard people talk about how the Jets let their best players get away. And that's there's a lot of truth to that. And it's frustrating because this team... 
doesn't draft a lot of good players. It's actually pretty pathetic when you look at this team's draft record. So when you go back to 93, and really the the areas I wanted to focus on was 97-98 and 99. And really, if you go with the Keyshawn draft in 96, that was a four-year stretch, okay? And now, and now part of this, too, is, you know, if we're talking about drafts, we're talking about players that bust, players that, you know, who's a hit, who's a miss. And I'm taking a little bit of a new look at this for my criteria. I don't even want to let, – let's throw out the word bust for a minute because we always hear fans, executives, media – everybody says you got to build through the draft. You got you to build, you got to draft well, draft quality players, keep those guys, build your roster, and, you know, move forward like that. So do we call, and I've had this argument with people, mainly, and this is at the 97 draft, James Farrier. James Farrier is a big, I've had a million arguments about that guy. Picked him eighth overall. And he did have himself a nice career. But as a Jet, he did nothing. He had one good year. So to me, Maybe the word bust, I've always said he was a bust, as far as the Jets are concerned. He had a great career for the Steelers, but as a Jet, he did nothing. And people come back at me, oh, you can't say he's a bust, look at his numbers, great player. Oh, well, then what do you want me to call it? Oh, uh, let's call it a wasted pick. Okay, no, James Farrier, in the grand scheme of things, in terms of his NFL career, he was certainly not a bust. But for the Jets, I would say he was a wasted pick overall, top 10 pick. Started 15 games as a rookie. The following year, two starts. The following year, four starts. The following year, six starts. Part-time player for the, for the vast majority of his first four years. Then year five comes. 16 games, breaks out, 145 tackles, three forced fumbles. Absolutely looks like he's going to be a player, and then they just let him walk. So to me, I don't care what you say, that's not a successful draft pick. If I'm, and, and I've said this before, if I'm the owner and you come to me and you say, uh, we got ourselves a crystal ball here, and we're taking this guy, James Farrier, in round one, because he's going to have a hell of a career. And then I, as the owner, say, oh, that's great. Tell me all about it. What's he going to do? What is your crystal ball telling you James Farrier is going to do? Well, Mr. Owner, uh, in his first year, he's going to start 15 games for us, 71 tackles, nothing, nothing spectacular. Okay, what well, and then what? And then a bunch of Pro Bowls? Well, yeah, yeah, but, but not the next year. Okay, year two doesn't really play. No, he only starts two games. Oh, is he hurt? No, no, he played 12 total, two starts. Okay, but what happens in year three? Four starts. Um, and we're taking this guy with the eighth pick. Yeah, yeah. Okay, then I guess he has a monster fourth year. No, six starts. All right. How about the following season? Oh, he breaks out, 16 starts, 145 tackles, he's a stud. Oh, oh, what do we do then? We sign him to a five, six-year deal, four-year deal, and he, and he blows up. Uh, no, no, he goes to the Steelers, and uh, 
becomes a, a stellar part of their defense for the next 10 years. Think the owner's going to be happy with that? You think he's going to yeah, sign him up, man. Oh, dra- you know, draft him. Eighth overall pick, one good season. Where where do I sign up? No. That to, that's a wasted pick. So fine, don't call him a bust. But you used the eighth overall pick on a guy who gave you one good season and then went somewhere else and lit it up. And that's and that's what the Jets do a lot of. It's not just Farrier. Going back, let's let's the the ninety three draft, that's the one I mentioned, right? Look look at the Jets. First of all, we'll we'll just we'll run through the names. Marvin Jones, right? Very damn good player. Slowed a little bit by injuries. One of my favorites when I was a young kid. Coleman Rudolph after that did nothing. David Ware never played a game. Fred Baxter, nice blocking tight end. Adrian Morrell, a couple good years before he got shipped off. Kenny Shedd did nothing. Richie Anderson, really good player out of Penn State, fullback. Alec Millen never played a game. Craig Henrich, the punter, he another one. He went on to have he went on to have himself a really nice career with the Packers and Titans. So he he was never really a Jet. So that's your '93 class, '94. Aaron Glenn, boom, home run, great pick. After that, Ryan Yarborough, Lubin Fadi, Orlando Parker, Horace Morris, Fred Lester, Glenn Foley, all gone after their first contract. And that's kind of the that's kind of the standard I use here. And that's why I mentioned Farrier. I'm looking at guys you drafted who played well and stayed beyond their first contract. Cuz I just I just don't care. Don't don't tell me you're building through the draft if you're drafting guys who you don't even re-sign or who you trade. Those to me aren't I mean they can be look Darrell Revis, right? Great player, Hall of Fame player. You couldn't call that pick a, a, a bust. But you traded him. I mean, even though he did get a deal because he wanted one after like 20 minutes into his first deal. So so Reeves is probably a bad example. But Randy Thomas, Randy Thomas, great player. Four or five really good years, walks as a free agent. That's not ideal. That To me, you don't draft good players in hopes of them developing into great players so you can then watch them walk out the door. The Jets are looking at, well, that's what the Jets have done, and they don't want to be looking at with Jamal Adams. 95, this is, this is where the disaster starts. Okay, you look at, you look at these, these draft classes in terms of who hung around, who got a second contract. Out of that 95 class, Kyle Brady, second contract? No. Hugh Douglas, second? Nope, traded. Excuse me. <clears throat> Matt O'Dwyer, second contract? Nope, went to the Bengals. Melvin Hayes, hardly played. Tyrone Davis? Nope. Carl Greenwood, Eddie Mason, Curtis Ezer? Nope, nope, nope. Not one guy in that 95 class got a second contract with the Jets. 96, Keyshawn Johnson? Nope. Traded to the Bucks. Granted, they got multiple picks, a good deal, but still, how about you draft some guys that you keep? Alex Van Dyke, nope. Ray Mickens, yes. How do you not love Ray Mickens? Marcus Coleman, yes, very good player. Hugh Hunter, nope. Hugh Hunter never saw the field. Chris Hayes, nope. 
And then, then these two disastrous drafts. You know, we talk about how bad McCagnan was. We talk about how bad John Idzik was. And I've mentioned these drafts in the past, but they always make me nauseous when I look at them. This is the 97 and 98 draft. 1997, James Farrier, second contract? No. Rick Terry? No. Northern Iowa, wide receiver, Diedrich Ward? Nope. No second contract for Ward. Terry Day? No. Leon Johnson, running back? No. Lamont Burns? No. Raymond Austin? No. Tim Sharp? No. Chuck Clements? No. Steve Rosga never saw the field. Jason Ferguson, defensive tackle. Best player in that class. Got a second contract. Seventh round pick. Only guy in that class who got a second contract with the Jets. The year before that, Dorian Booz, second contract? No. Scott Frost? No. Kevin Williams? No. Jason Fabini? Yes. Only good player in this class. Casey Daly? No. Doug Karzewski, no. Blake Spence, no. Mr. Block's field goal in the AFC Championship game. Eric Bateman, no. Eric Abagu, no. Chris Brazell, no. But he did go on to be a sniper in the Army. Look it up. Dustin Johnson, no. Lawrence Hart, no. That That's, okay, so, I, so that stretch right there, folks, and actually going into 99 isn't a lot better. That's... 42 draft picks, those four classes I just met, 42 picks, four players got second contracts. Fabini, Ferguson, Mickens, Coleman. That's it. You draft 42 guys, and you get four that stick around beyond that first deal. Again, this is, what, this is, this is where I got to the point where I was like, I knew this team was bad come draft time. But holy Christ, I mean, that is just unfathomable, unbelievable. The following year, eight picks, one good one. Randy Thomas, mentioned him earlier, played out his rookie contract, left. Then, of course, the 2000 class, all those ones, all those first rounders. Sean Ellis, John Abraham, Chad Pennington, Anthony Becht. Yeah, they all stayed. Well, Beck didn't. Ellis, Abraham, Pennington, they all got second deals. Lavernius Coles traded him. He came back, to be fair. He's like a caveat. They didn't keep him for the whole con- – they didn't sign him to an extended deal after his first contract. They traded him to the Redskins, but then he did end up signing again, or he did end up coming back to the Jets. Windrill Hayes, Tony Scott, Richard Seals, nothing, nothing, nothing. The following year, Santana Moss, stud. Santana Moss, one of the best receivers his team's drafted in my lifetime as a fan. They signed him to a second deal? No. Sent him to Washington. This is disturbing, folks. As you see a trend here. They don't draft a lot of good players. When they do, they let them leave. Lamont Jordan, Kareem McKenzie, Jamie Henderson, James Reed, Tupé Peco, gone, 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 gone. The following year, Brian Thomas, Nice veteran. What do you you play, 10 years, 11 years? Didn't live up to the expectations. He wasn't the big sack master they hoped he would be. John McGraw, Chris Baker. Baker hung around for a little while. He was the guy who got a second contract. And really a guy who I thought was underutilized. He deserved more of an opportunity. Alan Harper, 
gone. Jonathan Goodwin. So here's there's a few of these in here too. Jonathan Goodwin never played with the Jets. Never st- he didn't he didn't start his first year. He didn't start his second year. Started a couple games his third year. Started ten games his fourth year. Then he goes to the Saints. Doesn't really start with them until year three. And then he's a seven year stellar starter for them. Never started fewer than thirteen games. And that was his first year as a regular starter with New Orleans in 08. Started 13, and then started 16 every game, every year the rest of his career until his final season in 2014 when he started 14 games. So that's a really good player who got away from the Jets. The following year, Dwayne Robertson. I mean, that was an idiotic pick. Idiotic pick, bone-on-bone condition they knew about for the draft, and they still take him. They still trade two ones to move up and take him. Victor Hobson, nope. B.J. Askew, nope. Derek Pagel, nope. I mean, folks, it goes on and on year after year. 2004, Jonathan Vilma, Derek Strait, Cotri. Cotri hung around. Vilma got traded. Strait ended up not being any good. Adrian Jones had himself a couple nice games. Eric Coleman, Eric Coleman, fan favorite. Guy a lot of people seem to really like. Didn't make it past his rookie year with his rookie contract with the Jets. Ended up moving on. And you just see it time and again and again and again. 2005, Nugent, Miller, Pua, Kerry Rhodes, Andre Maddox, Cedric Houston, Reason, what? Gone. All of them gone. Most of them not even good enough to play in the league. Kerry Rhodes ended up getting dumped by Rex Ryan. Finally, 2006, Ferguson and Mangold. Kellen Clemens hangs around for a little bit. Eric Smith hangs around for a while. Everybody else gone after their first contract. Brad Smith, Leon Washington, Jason Pasayek, Drew Coleman, Titus Adams. Then the following year, Revis didn't make it through his first contract. Well, again, he was the caveat. Signed the second contract during his first contract. Then gets traded. David Harris, Jacob Bender, Chazzy Stuckey. Harris is the only one worth anything out of those last three. Time and again, the following year, six players picked. One worth keeping in Dustin Keller. The others, Golston, Lowry, Ainge, Henry, and Garner. The following year, three picks. Sanchez got a second contract, didn't deserve one. He wasn't good enough. That was a screw-up. Matt Lawson. Matt Lawson should have gotten a second contract. He didn't. He went to the Bears. Ended up playing, playing pretty decent for them. Wasn't a superstar, but he could have been a nice depth piece. Kyle Wilson, Vlad Dukas, Joe McKnight, Joe Connor, John Connor. Nobody got a second deal. Then, then of course, 2011. Who gets a, who gets a second deal? Muhammad Wilkerson. Huge disaster. However, two guys in that class who were not disasters who got second deals: Bilal Powell, Jeremy Curley. The following year, not one guy gets a second contract. Quentin Copel, Stephen Hill, Demario Davis who comes back for a year, doesn't get a second contract. Josh Bush, Terrence Gannaway, Robert Griffin, not the good one. Antonio Allen, Jordan White. It's just, it's painful, folks. We go through these draft histories, and they're just brutal. Of course, the John Edzik 12, who only Quincy Inunua remained. Prior Amaro, McDougal, Saunders, Evans, Dozier, George, Dixon, Inunua, and then Polly, Boyd, Riley. The year after that, it was Milner, Richardson, Gino, Winters, Abushi, Campbell, Bohannon. 
That's 19 players. Two of them still around. Two of them got second deals. So that's, that, that's been the story, folks. And now the Jets are in a situation with Jamal Adams where they have another player who's about to walk out the door, impact player, who is due or who's going to want a ton of money. Now, again, COVID is probably affecting this. We'll have to wait and see what happens. But what, what this brings me to, though, and one of the, one of the main things I want to I, I I can't stand when fans say, we deserve that. We deserve a winner. We deserve this. We des- we waited so long, so patiently. We deserve that. No one ever. You don't deserve anything. No one owes you anything. No one's guaranteed anything. You watch. You cheer. You root. You hope. But no one really owes anyone anything. However, having just gone over that atrocious draft history, absolutely nauseating draft history. You've got to figure. And again, this isn't about owing or not owing. Just the law of averages. The Jets have got to be due a monster draft class. They've got to be due a class. And that's that's why you listen, we all love the most recent draft class because nobody stepped on the field yet. And we envisioned the perfect scenario for every guy that was taken. This guy's going to start. This guy's going to start. This guy's going to be a pro bowler. This guy's going to be a backup for a year or two. Then he's going to start. And everyone's going to be no worse than a special teams contributor. That's not reality. There's going to be hits. There's going to be misses. Every now and then you get a class. Well, the Jets don't, but teams get a class where they find five starters four or five starters, two backups, you know, when they get a draft, it sort of sets a foundation for the team moving forward. Multiple affordable pieces to build around who are going to be around for a few years. And, and I will say this, as bad as it looks, and this is one of the things I wanted to cover tonight, because we always talk about that key third year. It's you can't judge a draft class till they've played their third season. Right? It's, not, it's not a written law anywhere, but it's generally accepted by most fans that you, you know, the insane fans want to write guys off after three bad games. I say it all the time. I remember, I remember people writing Chris Herndon off his rookie year because he dropped the pass in his first game. And it was, oh, we got another bust. Another, oh, why did we take this guy? This guy's garbage. Drop the pass. I mean, give me a damn break. But year three tends to be the most frequently agreed-upon number for fans that, you know, for fans that, or or the number that fans look at in terms of when they're ready to to write a guy off or or anoint him as a a good pick. So I always like to take the off-season to look at the, the draft class that is about to enter year three. And let's face it, folks, this is a potentially exciting one. Have, having just named off about 100 draft classes where maybe, where, you know, if, they're, if the Jets are lucky, one guy sticks around beyond his first contract. Two is shocking, and three is just unheard of. Or damn near unheard of. So that brings you, you know, the, the 2018 class is, about, is a class that's about to enter year three. 
And I got to tell you, you know, the way Nathan Shepard played last year, I mean, look, 72nd overall pick. And don't lie. Don't lie and tell me you didn't think he was gone after the P suspension. I know you did. I did. I was like, well, he's suspended. The second he comes back, they're dumping that dude. He's, in my mind, he was off the roster. Not only was he not off the roster, the guy played pretty damn well. Pretty damn well. So that, that, that then puts you in a spot where, again, Chris Herndon, dinged up, nicked up. But year one, when he was healthy, he looked like he was going to be one of the next great tight ends in this league. So his health is a question. His ability is not. Perry Nickerson, of course, didn't hang around very long. Then you got Foley Fadakasi, who was a monster last year and just dominated as your sixth rounder. And then Trenton Cannon, who is, you know, basically a special teams guy at this point, but a damn good one. Does he stick around again? Well, you know, that remains to be seen. I said last offseason he was a guy that I hoped they would keep around for another year or two while they work on his game and develop him. I think he can be an asset. We'll see if the Jets feel the same way. But basically what you're looking at, I mean, for 2018, I mean, Sam Donald's going nowhere. What type of year is he going to have in Adam Gase's offense? Who knows? But in my mind, he's the guy. I know there's a lot of – oh, he's got a lot to – and he does. He has a lot to prove. To be totally fair, totally honest, Sam Darnold has a lot to prove. But I believe he's going to prove it. So Darnold, to me, is a lock to come back. Shepard went from a guy who I thought was already off the roster to a guy who looks like he can hang around. Even I mean, spot starter, rotational guy, whatever you want to call it. Herndon, health is the only question. Fadakasi, he keeps playing the way he is. He's going to be a starting player. I mean, and even that term. I was thinking about that the other day. The term starter is kind of outdated. Just regular player. Because guys start, finish. Guys, the way the game is so specialized, and this guy for this package, and that guy for that package, and you're going to go in on these sets, and you're, listen, starting doesn't matter on the D-line. You're a regular player. Um, you know, you have your elite cream of the crop guys who don't come off the field. But other than that, everyone, it's either you, you get in the game and you play regularly or you don't. And Fadakasi looks like he's going to be a guy who does that. And then Cannon, again, on specials, if they can expand his role, that would be great. But even if he doesn't, let's let's say Cannon doesn't make the roster and Nickerson's gone already. That still leaves you with Fadakasi, Hernan, Shepard, Darnold. Four out of six. Not bad. Like I said call me greedy or whatever. I mean, I, I, it's hardly fair to call me greedy given the, given the, the, the you know, as we mentioned, the, the terrible draft this team has had. I don't know that it would be fair to call a Jets fan greedy for wanting to have a, a quality draft class. But speaking of quality, before we move on, if you're, running for, if you're running your own business and you're looking for a quality option to manage all of your social media platforms, Check in with our sponsor, Mile Social. That's M-I-L-E Social, milesocial.com. If you're running a business on your own and you need help managing all of your online social media platforms, be it Twitter, TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, you name it, they will manage it for you. Mile Social will take care of all 
of your online needs. They, they're looking at the analytics. They're looking at the numbers. They know what people are looking for, what it takes to get more customers in through your door. So check them out when you get a chance, milesocial.com. That's M-I-L-E social.com. So again, back to, back to you know, quality options, quality picks. It certainly looks to me, again, barring injury, I think this 2018 class is going to be, by Jet standards, a, a really good class because four of these guys should stick around and have prominent roles. Donald, Shepard, Herndon, Fatakasi. Nickerson, like I said, gone. Cannon has a shot to be a part-time, you know, a bit player. Then, of course, you have last year's class, which too many questions. I still think Quentin Williams is going to be a stud. Ja'Kai Polite, I'm going to go out on a limb and say he's not going to do a whole lot with the Jets. Edoga, Edoga worries me. I think I've talked about him. You know, we, we talked about the, you know, the pre-draft stuff where there were a lot of sources saying that they, they'd heard there were work ethic issues. They'd seen up close that there were work ethic issues. Um, if, he does, if that's true and he doesn't have the work ethic, if he hasn't grown up and matured, he's not going to be willing to put in the work that he needs to to stay in the league. So he's worth keeping an eye on in terms of a possible surprise cut. Then you have Wesco Cashman, Austin. Austin looked fantastic for a short time last year. Don't need more reps. Cashman's got to stay healthy. Don't know that he ever will. And I think Wesco is safe. I think Wesco improved enough during the season that he's going to be around for a little bit, even with all the tight ends they have on the roster. But that listen, the, the, back to my point, folks. The Jets are due for a monster draft class. Now, is Joe Douglas's first draft class the one? Does Mekhi Beckton end up being the starting tackle for the next 10, 15 years? Does Denzel Mims develop into the playmaking, you know, wide receiver two, wide receiver one that some project? I mean, and here's the thing. I'm, I'm as guilty of this as anyone. I would be willing to bet that if you polled every fan base across the NFL in the days and weeks and months following the draft, Everyone says, this guy's a steal, that guy's a steal, we got a steal in this round, and this guy was there when he wasn't supposed to be there. Everyone talks about how everyone in their draft is a steal, and everyone should have gone in the first round, and blah, 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 blah. Everyone does it. I've done it myself in the past. But, and this is a big reason why Jets fans have a lot of faith and a lot of confidence in this class that Joe Douglas just put together. Because if you look at some of the names and you look at some of the projections, Makai Becton, a million people had him down as a, as a top ten. Well, I shouldn't say top ten. As a, one of the top four tackles that would go. So Makai Becton, you could say, went where he was supposed to. But he was supposed to be a you know, top of the first round guy. You get him there. Denzel Mims, a lot of folks had him pegged as a late first rounder, mid-late first rounder. I didn't see many mocks at all that had him there in the second round let alone at 59, let alone at, yeah, sorry, let alone at 59. Then Ashton Davis, who I'm not going to lie to you, on draft day, in the, in the seconds following that pick, I was irate. I couldn't believe they drafted another safety. But I, and I said at the time, I'm going to be honest, and I'll, I'll repeat it now. I did close to no homework on safeties leading up to this draft. My folk, I was receivers, O-line, Look at a few running backs. Look at some of the, you know, I looked at James Morgan because his name was attached to the Jets quite a bit. But I didn't spend 
any time. I think I watched one or two safeties leading up to this draft, and I don't even remember who they were, to be honest. But Davis, he's got that that world-class speed that makes him a guy who can cover the entire field, and that's one of the biggest reasons why Pro Football Focus had him rated as a, as a first-round pick. So that's not me. That, that's not my Jets fan bias saying, oh, now that I've seen some Ashton Davis, I think he was a first-rounder. I'm saying everyone had Mekhi Becton in the top 10, 12 picks. And I, after this, following the Senior Bowl, I don't remember seeing a mock where Denzel Mims wasn't a first-round pick. Then you see PFF slap Ashton Davis with a first-round grade. And then you get Bryce Hall in round five, who was universally viewed as a round one or two pick until he injured himself. Cameron Clark was a guy that I talked up quite a bit before the draft as a small school sleeper. So I look at this Jets Hall, and I think, well, Becton's a starter. Mims should be a starter. Ashton Davis could be a, a, you know, as they say, a chess piece. Can play a little corner, can play either safety spot, can run like the wind. Hall, another guy, first rounder. Great cover skills, great length. And all of a sudden, you start thinking, we're due for a great draft class. And and this might be the one. This might be. You might have four guys in Becton, Mims, Davis, and Hall who were projected first-round type talents. And then Zuniga. Who knows where Zuniga would have been projected if he was healthy? Health's a big question there. And who knows where Cam Clark is projected if he was if he played at a bigger college. I know people probably get tired of hearing me say it, but I'm going to keep saying it. When I watched that dude leading up to the draft, when I watched him against Clemson, I was blown away. And that was why on, you know, before day 2 of the draft kicked off, I put him down as my number 1 sleeper. Watch him against Tennessee. He was pretty damn good against them too. And I get that Tennessee isn't Tennessee today isn't what Tennessee has been historically. But this is still a pretty big program where Cameron Clark, who went to Charlotte, didn't often get an opportunity to showcase what he could do against these bigger schools. And when he did, he certainly looked like he fit in. So I look at him and I think, why, why couldn't this guy be a starter? I think he can. I believe I, I read or I heard Mel Kuyper on draft day said this guy could be a starter at some point at guard. So you get Bryce Hall in round five. He's going to, you know, if he's healed up and plays the way people expect him to play, he, he'll be a starting player. Cameron Clark, I'm not alone in saying I think this guy can be a starter. Ashton Davis, Mins, and Becton, all guys that people viewed as first-round talents. Now, Michael Perrine, running backs, listen, we've had this conversation. If the guy can hit the hole and you, have, and you build your, yourself a decent O-line, you can have a starter. It's not, uh, you know, we see it every year. Guys come from out of nowhere and just blow it out of the water um, as rookies. So that, then that, that begs the question, we've, and we've talked about it, was, is this enough for Sam Darnold? Did Joe Douglas do enough to help out Sam Darnold? I would... 
And as I've said, I would have loved another couple receivers in the draft. But even without them, with Herndon coming back healthy, Becton, Mims, Perrine at running back, Clark, another another guy on the O-line, to go with hopefully Griffin and Herndon, that should absolutely be enough. There's no re- If everyone is healthy, and if Adam Gase is this, this genius, innovative, offensive mind, there is no reason why this shouldn't be a top 15 offense. I don't, I don't see how you can view that any other way. You know, I mean, if you're being honest with yourself, the Jets just basically got a top 10 tackle or top 11 tackle, a receiver who was projected to go in the first by many, many people, a rebuilt O-line, Herndon and Griffin, and Perryman on the other side who you signed away from Tampa. So they've gone out, they've put the pieces in place. Now we have to wait till next year or, you know, till this season to see what happens next and whether or not these guys live up to their potential. If they gel and, and you know, what does Adam Gase, what does Adam Gase do? Does he finally find the way to crack the top 15 on offense? Because as we've said before, without Peyton, he hasn't done it. But we're going to find out in a hurry if he can do it tougher schedule this year we've talked about that and we'll dig deeper into that as the offseason goes on but as far as tonight goes we will wrap this one up went a little bit short tonight uh like i said solo show and uh not you know other than the jamal drama there's not a lot going on in uh in jets land but we will we're working on some guests for next week and hopefully, Alex, Alex, we're uh, we're 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 hoping you're back with us next week, buddy. I know you said uh, you got uh, feeling a little bit under the weather, so all the best to you, and all the best to everyone out there listening tonight. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we look forward to catching up with you next week. Have a good one. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Jet Nation Radio. Glenn is at AceFan23, and Alex is at NYJetsLife24. Until next time, go Jets! Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.